Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. It's of a merchant's daughter they brought up in Calio. Hurrah, me other girls, who let me go? She took me in the parlor and said, won't you be me beau? Hurrah, me other girls, who let me go? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. I think this is the only time we've ever not violated copyright laws with our <laughs> song choice. <laughs> no, I don't think no, it's no. A, no, no. It's not a violation if we play like 20 seconds of it and then talk over it. And it's <laughs> like, it, I think that falls under fair use. Sure, this is Hopefully. educational. <laughs> anyway, we also have Bill Graham. Woohoo, you mateys. <laughs> and a special guest today to talk with us about The Lighthouse, it's Charlie Nash. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. What is up, Charlie? Uh, just, uh, I don't know, I'm... I'm totally gay for this movie, you guys. That's all I have to say right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That fucking works. Spoilers. <laughs> Spo- spoilers for opinions. Spoiler. <laughs> all right. Interviews for it. <laughs> this, um, this movie, of course, uh, directed by Robert Eggers, who previously did The Witch, written by Max Eggers and Robert Eggers, stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Before we get into that, the usual stuff. Actually... Because we have a guest. Charlie, why don't you introduce yourself to the people at home, telling them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm Charlie Nash. I'm a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association, and um, I'm a freelance film critic who's uh, contributed to websites such as Edge Media Network, Movie Mezzanine, uh, Film School Rejects, Film Thrills, and uh, Atticus in Review, among other outlets. So, yeah. All right. So the usual stuff before we get kicking off here, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us podcast at filmstage.com. Don't neglect to give us a comment rating on iTunes. And of course, you can go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to help us out with a monetary contribution for as little as one dollar an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel where we have raging debates about things that don't matter. And of course, you get first crack. At all of our movie raffles. Again, that is patreon.com slash the film stage show. If you want to still talk about whether the return is TV or a movie, join it's our Slack. TV. <laughs> Twin Peaks The Return is not a movie just because cinephiles like it that much. Oh, man. Who gives a shit? Okay. Charlie, thoughts? <laughs> no, I've, I mean, I love Twin Peaks. I love Twin Peaks The Return, but I've been on the It's TV side since the beginning. So, I mean, it just, every episode is structured like an episode of television. And I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just the most frustrating conversation because it just takes away from the fact that it's like just such a revelatory piece of visual media and that, you know, it doesn't really matter at this point, in my opinion, whether, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm burnt out. <laughs> well stated. I think, I think it's weirdly going to fall through the cracks. Like it, 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 in the couple decade, like TV uh, things I've seen, it, it didn't really show up on there. And then there's a lot of raging debate over whether, over whether it's a film. So I think oddly it's not going to get 
some of the love that it's deserved in part yeah because a bunch of assholes kept screaming it's a movie so all the tv people gave up and all the movie people will forget (laughs) that they momentarily decided to make it a movie and so it's gonna get shortchanged uh when we voted for our best films of i think it was 2017 yeah we had a big email chain debating this and then some (laughs) people went on and put it as their number one anyway so yeah, I think it got our number one, and I legitimately like came the closest I ever came to quitting. <laughs> no, it's it's it Every, did not get number one. I think First Reformed was number one that year. No, that's not the same year. Yeah, what year was, was last year? When was the return? It was twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Okay, yeah, I don't remember what was number one. Never mind. But like, but like every episode ends with you know a musical number at the at you know the bar. So like, I don't, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so that's a little clip yeah. of the type of shit that happens in our Slack channel. If you'd like more yeah. of that, Patreon.com/slash The Film State Show. We are also, of course, brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day their curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. They've got a bunch of great series going on presently. And of course, but not TV shows, movies. No, these are <laughs> films. <laughs> if they're on movie, they are films. Okay. So, for All instance, right. what is an auteur gives us movies from Sarah Driver, Sleepwalk, and When Pigs Fly. Uh, it's no longer October, but they did add one last film a couple days ago during October for Dario Argento's Bloody October, and that is Deep Red. 1975 yeah the movie rules yeah <laughs> possibly my favorite ending to any jello film ever i have not yeah. seen it i am looking forward to it now oh, um and the movie of the day today is the vampires of poverty poverty <laughs> uh the synopsis for that two filmmakers travel around impoverished sectors of the cities of bogota and cali in search of the images of abject abject abjection wow (laughs) needed i kept wanting to say abignation and i'm like that's not right that's not right oh (laughs) is that bad unless i'm thinking of something else okay I'm going to move on. Needed to complete a documentary commissioned by German TV. Meanwhile, another camera captures these vampire filmmakers feeding off the misery of their marginal subjects. That is now on Mubi. Uh, Don't forget that if you go on Mubi, you can download these films to your phone so you can watch them on the go. You can also watch them on your smart TVs and your PC or laptop. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that number, that number, that website is mubi.com slash filmstage. So that's that for the front matter. Now is the time when we can talk about The Lighthouse. Again, the newest film from Robert Eggers, who previously gave us The Witch, which uh, was one of my top 10 films of that year. I'm not going to say The Witch. We're not doing this. I will write it out with the two Vs. Because I'm an asshole, and someone yelled at me on Twitter about that once. I mean, good, good. I'm glad they did. <sighs> okay. Uh, anyway, again, this movie stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson as two men charged with watching a lighthouse. And um, that's as much as I feel comfortable saying. Here is the trailer.
clever man want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. It's like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just fill your beans? All right. So that's the trailer for The Lighthouse. This movie <laughs> already got laughter. This movie out in theaters now. We are here to talk about it. Let us start with our guest, Charlie Nash. You already said you were gay for this movie. What are your thoughts on The Lighthouse? <laughs> yeah, so I love this movie. Um, and I was pretty taken with it within the first 10 minutes, which feature no dialogue. And it's just... Um, getting uh, immersed in this uh, one-by-one aspect ratio with uh, black-and-white uh, photography that was filmed on 35 millimeter, and just feeling so um, so uh, claustrophobic to begin with, but also just so taken aback by it as a pure sensory experience. And then um, I, it was one of those films where I started to try and piece together what was going on, but then realized that it's a film that's all about trying to drive you mad and to the point that I just let it wash all over me. And I just loved being mystified by it in a way that I found to be interesting in in ways that were kind of opposite from The Witch, which is another film that I loved, which I found to be very effective as a uh, coming-of-age film uh in coming of age uh as you know in, in coming to terms with uh female sexuality and here i found it was kind of oddly fascinating that this is almost a pitch black comedy about the absurdity of uh machismo and masculinity in general so there's a lot to get into in spoilers because i don't i i, I honestly don't feel comfortable with like getting into anything else without po- the possibility of what could be a spoiler in this film because it's not plot heavy at all it's so experiential but yeah i i i found it intoxicating and i know that there's a lot of people who think it's kind of uh hollow or just kind of uh beautiful uh just kind of emptiness but i honestly think that it it it, it that's all part of the point and i was just yeah very much uh put under its spell all right, Michael Snydell. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those people who thinks it's a little <laughs> hollow. I, I I don't think it's. I I do want to say I don't think it's pretentious. Like I, I I think what's interesting about it is I think this has like the trappings of some experimental film, but it doesn't really have the intention. Like it, it's it's a pretty entertaining like incident filled movie. Like it, it's not like you uh, like as much as there's like an emphasis on process and like long drown out shots of Pattinson being a lackey (laughs) and having to do this uh, very, these very thankless jobs. Like I I did think that it was a a film that there was a lot going on. And at first I was kind of mesmerized by the rhythms, which which kind of felt like uh, inhaling and exhaling to me especially early on but i think as as it goes i think i just got a little bit bored with how much it felt like a crescendo to me and you know the witch was also a film that kind of has that crescendo as well and it just 
has that uh, that pitch that it wants to reach from the beginning. And this one, it just at a certain point, I just felt like I was being pummeled by it in a way that that started to feel trolly at at a certain point. I, I think it works much better as a dark comedy than a psychological horror film. And although there are some people who insist that there is some mythological weightiness to this, you know, in its evocations of Prometheus and other mythology, I, I, I remain, uh, I, 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 I am not convinced. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's a fine exercise, and Eggers is obviously a deeply talented director. I just – I wish that all of this energy was put into something that felt less like a a single pretty damn good joke drawn to full length. All right. Bill Graham. Did we lose Bill? <laughs> Have we not had Bill for a while? Oh, no. (laughs) Honestly, that would have been the best reaction ever. (laughs) Bill, what'd you think? Complete silence. (laughs) He says, whoa, my computer just shut down. (laughs) And then he did the head exploding emoji. (laughs) I'm going to say, come back when you can. And then I'm going to give my opinion on this movie. So I'm skipping over Bill. Because the show must go on. Sure. Weird enough, Michael, that you were like, "Uh uh-oh, it's going to be me versus everyone. I don't 100% disagree with anything that you just said. But um, you still love this movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had a great fucking time with this movie. So I really liked The Witch because of the production design and the, the language, the actors, that goat. Like, everything about it was great aesthetically. And then I really enjoyed... The way that it kind of interrogates the creation of America, women's place in society, uh, the way that religious persecution of like burgeoning sexuality can lead to all kinds of stuff. There was a lot to chew on beneath the prettiness. This movie is purely the aesthetics. (laughs) I would love someone to write, you know, podcastthefilmstage.com and give me a whole rundown of all the other stuff that I'm missing, but I don't need it to be happy. I am totally cool with the crazy, insane places that this movie goes. I never knew what was going to happen next. I was slack jawed through most of this movie. I was, Hey, Bill's back. Um, I'm giving my opinion and then Bill, you can jump in. Um, (laughs) basically, I agree with Michael. It's kind of a hollow film and it's beautiful and I didn't care. I loved it. It was fun. <laughs> I was confused. I was shocked. I could not track where it was going to go next. I didn't know what I was supposed to view as a fever dream and what was real. And at a certain point, I didn't care. Like Charlie said, it feels a little like the movie's trying to drive you insane. And on a personal note, uh, Landmark East Street sometimes has special screenings that do open captions. So you don't have to like go in and request captions. They just have screenings that have captions on them. It's wonderfully inclusive, accessible thing to do. 
it drove me goddamn crazy in this movie. <laughs> Wait, you had captions for this movie? I had captions for this movie. What? Did not so realize that upon sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it, every time the foghorn went, it said, you know, foghorn oh blares. God. <laughs> every, every time Defoe farts, it says old farts. And the worst part for me, uh, I don't know if most people at home know this. I am a technical editor in my day job. So my job is to clarify the English language that is written by people of great technical skills so that it can be read by the everyman. Part of that involves taking very complex, deep, long, paragraph-long sentences and breaking them down. And Willem Dafoe has numerous points in this movie where every time that the, like, the clause would end with a comma and keep going, I could feel myself going crazy because I was just picturing all of the words written out on a page with no periods. And I was like, this is the craziest goddamn run on sentence that I have ever had the misfortune of being in the room for. So that's just another way that the movie drove me crazy. Uh, but I liked it. I really liked it. I don't. Michael and I were even talking about this before we began podcasting. Like, I don't even know how long we're going to be able to talk about this movie <laughs> because I don't know that it has a lot of those deeper themes that we usually run into. I could just spend three hours talking about my favorite parts, which I'm totally down to do, but I'm not sure how much there is there, but I don't think that I 100% needed it because it was very artfully done and I liked the insanity. So Bill Graham, you're back with us. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the lighthouse? Um, so it was cold and wet and rainy when I saw it. So I was already cold and wet uh, by the time I got inside the theater. Uh, <laughs> I was cold the entire time I was in the theater. And then I got outside and it was still cold and wet and rainy. So um, that was a little snippet of my experience on the externalities, I guess. Um, so you I saw this in movie- 40X is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a seagull spitting on me uh, throughout half of the film. Um, I don't know if they spit, whatever. Anyways, um, I really enjoyed this movie, despite everything that I have issues with um, in terms of language, in terms of just understanding what the fuck was going on, um, in terms of understanding that like a foghorn. I didn't realize a foghorn is actually a foghorn. Like I didn't understand that that was a thing. I thought that was, I don't know what the fuck I thought, but I certainly didn't understand that this lighthouse had a foghorn that was like mechanized and was blaring throughout like, uh, the first, I don't know, 15 minutes before they actually showed the device. I was like, what the fuck is that noise? Why is, why is there just this constant, like the boat has left. I don't understand why this noise is continuing to be here. And then they finally show the fucking thing. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a foghorn made. So boats understand, Hey, you're coming towards a shore, I guess. I mean, do you need that beyond the lighthouse? I thought the lighthouse was enough, but I don't know. So, I Bill, did you, you go home to... and Wikipedia, like, what no, foghorns no. are for and how that, they work? That would, ruin, <laughs> that would ruin everything that I just said. <laughs> <laughs> so these are thoughts that I had during the movie and still continue to have. Uh, feel free to clarify uh, after I get done with this little uh, preamble. But um, 
no, I I really enjoyed this film. I think it's batshit. I think it's crazy. Um, I think it's more oppressive, more uh, more in your face about what it's trying to do than the witch ever was. The witch was, and you know, I listened to an interview with the uh, with the director Robert Eggers, and if if you have a chance, uh, it it's definitely worth listening to. I think I think I listened to him on the Big Picture, um, and Sean Finnessy has does a decent job of, of being a, a fairly good interviewer. And so that one's definitely worth your time. Um, but he was talking about how the witch was supposed to be subtle. It was supposed to be kind of, uh, grounded in reality. And he said that this film, he definitely wanted to push the audience a bit. He wanted a, that claustrophobic, uh, ratio that he shoots it in, or I guess displays it in more, more than anything. Um, and just the oppressive sound, uh, all the cool camera effects that he decides to utilize all the, uh, kind of, you know, mysteries of what is or isn't actually happening in the film. Is this all just a really bad, like hangover dream or is this something else? Is this real? Is this, you know, and so all these other fantasy elements kind of get intertwined in this film, um, in really fascinating ways. And, I really enjoyed the oppressive nature of it. And yet, you know, when we talk about art house films, a lot of times we talk about films that are hard to kind of get your head around, how hard to kind of see through it, hard to just, you know, understand. You you constantly feel like, you know, you've you've lost a step on the film or something like that. Um, not every art house film is like that, but a lot of them are. Right. They're they're purposely almost oblique, I guess, in that oblique. Is that is that am I using that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, And so this one is not this one is basically just a fart movie with some crazy, uh, you know, fantasy elements and some bananas language going on. And that's that's basically it. It's a two hander. It follows these two characters throughout their hellacious journey on the shitty, shitty little rock. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if this is something that I would ever watch again, though. Um, And that being said, maybe if I was in the warmth of my own home, maybe, you know, with a fire going or something, something where I wouldn't just feel just depressed uh, getting out of. Um, but yeah, this, this is definitely a, a weird fun trip, but it's, it's so oppressive and it's so just kind of in your face that I think maybe it's, it's a one-time viewing for me, but it's, I mean, God, I wish I had the subtitles, not that that would necessarily help me understand what the fuck they were saying half the time, (laughs) but yeah. So yeah, I just have does. to say that that foghorns apparently have become obsolete, basically. But they yeah, are why not? They, they they are an aural <laughs> like uh, warning to people. So like it, as their name would suggest, only in foggy conditions. When the worry is that people won't see the light from the lighthouse. Okay. 
So, Bill, if so it you, makes you feel better, I did not know this either, and I wondered that for a bit. I've only previously seen a foghorn on a boat, so I, I wondered that as well when it was landbound. <laughs> That's crazy. I only ever knew of foghorns as being landbound because they are legitimately to warn boats approaching in the fog. Yeah, I just I just didn't put that together. And then, like I said, with the with the boat coming in, I figured it was the boat making the noise. And then when the boat left and the noise continued, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> they took the foghorn with them. Why? Why is this continue? <laughs> it also doesn't sound like any foghorn I feel like I've ever heard. Oh, fuck no. And and he specifically sought that out. Uh, that Robert Eggers mentioned that specifically was, you know, when he was trying to place this in the time period and do all this uh, time accurate stuff, he definitely wanted that particular foghorn. He wanted some kind of mechanized version of it because otherwise he said, uh, you know, at a certain age or I guess a certain year mark, decade mark, things like that, technology looks very familiar. And mm-hmm. he said that both of these technologies look very foreign and very just masculine and kind of like just, you know, like you feed the foghorn with fucking coal. Like that's insane. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I love I, I just want to say, too, I love Eggers like. Uh, like mania like mania for like production fetishism (laughs) like the the extent to which he goes is like you know this or the other side of it's like the best period filmmaker you know for getting things accurate and for making you putting you in a time and a place like this side of like wes anderson (laughs) yeah so there's nobody else (laughs) one thing that he did was he and his brother actually co-wrote co-wrote this script and they wrote it in a dialect that they basically were like he was laughing he was saying like you know it was just short of our yamati uh kind of pirate (laughs) dialogue and that's what they were kind of bouncing back and forth and like handing this script back and forth to each other. He was writing this while he was still in production, uh, like in the middle of, of production on the witch. Um, and so he said what he ultimately ended up doing was he ended up going out and finding dialogue, a someone that basically wrote an entire book on, uh, I think dialogue? it was Pattinson's. Yeah. It, Pattinson's specifically, uh, uh, dialect. And he said from there, they reverse engineered all the dialogue to kind of fit into these patterns and all of these <laughs> other things. So like, they were just like, I don't know. Let's just make them sound like pirates, and then we'll we'll figure it out at the end. And they basically, <laughs> that's basically what they did. They were like, "All right, we're gonna make them talk like pirates. That's how we're gonna write this dialogue. That's how we're gonna kind of get into kind of the rhythm and the feel of it." And then they were like, "Okay, this can't just be pirate dialogue, though. We actually yeah. have to base it off of something." And so they found two specific dialects that they based it off of. And then just kind of work backwards from there. So, yeah, that's that's fascinating bullshit. That's just like sure. it has it has no real effect on the movie, really, because like, you know, one uh, percent of the population, less than one percent of the population would even notice that kind of shit. You know, um, they could talk like pirates and I would be like, sounds good to me. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, it's it's one of those just those little nuances that he adds. And Sean Finnessy even asked him, I think he was like, why do you put that pressure on yourself? And he was just like, I don't know. (laughs) Actually, he actually had a smart answer. He said, this is the kind of shit that I would research and do like investigation on period and that. I end up being able to get to make a movie that has some of my interests. That's where a lot of this kind of ends up folding into sure. itself. So it's just like, I would, I would be fascinated to learn this shit anyways. And so he's just like, and then it happens to work for my movie. So yeah, I get, I get two birds with one stone. So yeah. Did he ever mention the Simpson sea captain? Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Robert Robert Eggers is is definitely uh you know someone to behold for sure. He's he's, he's a, a fascinating man. <laughs> Let's be yeah, he's he's a fucking cra- crazy, crazy asshole. Um the other thing that I learned from that was uh that they also made sure that the location that they shot in actually had some of the dangerous elements. So like they had seriously foul weather and they shot it with the intention like they location scouted with the intention of having foul weather and so they had like all of these things going on where yeah you see like all that shitty weather that's real weather that's not them like piping it in or anything like that and they he was just like yeah you had to be very specific with what kind of shots you want because you know while this looks like a helter skelter film set you also have major film actors acting in your movie and this is a major production so you have like all of these safety personnel all around you have divers in the water and like all this other stuff um and he was just like yeah and then in the middle of it is william defoe and or willem defoe and and robert pattinson just doing their (laughs) thing and their funny dialect it it was filmed in uh oh it was filmed in Nova Scotia, I think, right? And wasn't I think, there... I'm not oh, sure, to I be think honest it, with you. I, I think it was Nova Scotia, but I do remember there being a piece that came out um, like a year ago, like where it was like Robert Pattinson almost punched Eggers in the face. And <laughs> I I remember thinking like, oh, wow, like, you know, he's, you know, Eggers seems like such a nice guy. But watching this movie and seeing the labor that... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I mean, it's kind of understandable because none of it looks like he's just faking it. Like it, he's yeah. carrying. That also, shit I mean, that's basically there. the the character arc of his character in the movie, except yeah. punching Willem <laughs> Dafoe instead of Robert Eggers. Exactly. Um, according to IMDb, it was in fact filmed in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Nice. Um. So I don't know. Like for me, I had an interesting journey with this movie because I heard. You know, the director of The Witch, two guys on a lighthouse, things are weird. I was expecting, like, some Lovecraftian horror or a a kind of, like, retread period spin on the novel Cold Skin, which I feel like I've mentioned a few times. Um, So I was actually, like, at first a little disappointed when it seemed like this was basically going to be wake and fright, but in a lighthouse with only two guys. Mm-hmm. You didn't mention the horniness yet. <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, Wake and Fright has some of that horniness. Um, it, it, Does it have flatulence? Probably. I mean, Bill, were it's you also, on the podcast when we reviewed Wake and Fright? 
I was I not. I I don't know if I've ever seen Wake and Fright. It's but, basically I mean, like this proper British guy. Uh, Charlie, have you seen Wake and Fright? I haven't. Everyone, actually. stop what you're doing right now, it's even the Prime. people on this podcast, and go see Wake and Fright. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and this, in two hours. It's <laughs> this English guy who becomes a bonded teacher in the outback of Australia, and he hates it. He is like a proper oh. blonde-haired British gent, and then he's oh, like, on, I've got to... Try to find a way to get back to me, lady. And this this was the movie that was recently like rediscovered, right? Yes, and like, it was like, like refound, and I think draft. Yes, house put it out. yes, I saw that. I that I think I even interviewed the director of that. <laughs> and he, <laughs> it's no like there's it's, Bill's goldfish brain going to work yeah, again. <laughs> it's it's real fucking good. Like it's it a really is, good movie. Is, and so basically, it, like. He gets stranded in this place called Bundanyaba, where everyone is really aggressively friendly as long as you agree to drink with them. Yes. And um, it's like him over the course of like a couple days just losing his fucking mind because it's the outback and the only thing there is to do is drink all the time and go nuts. Um, and so this movie's a little bit like that. And so once I was able to pick up that, I was like, okay, I, I think I'm on board. But like, I don't know. There's a part of me that's still a little upset that it it wasn't it wasn't what I thought it was going to be but at the same time once I like vibed with it around the time that like the seagull started to become a character I was like oh okay all right it's just going to be this madness here I'm wondering did did I know Michael that you did not but did anyone feel like they picked up on anything deeper in this movie <laughs> I mean look I'll just come out and say like it it as I hinted from the beginning of this episode, it did tap into like um, some queer side. It, it, it tapped into, I mean, I'm openly gay. So it did, it did kind of uh, per- portray sexual repression in a way that I found to be actually very uh, both darkly funny, but also, I mean, accurate. I mean, and it, and maybe it's not even going for like, uh, like it, maybe it's not intently trying to be like this is a queer movie, but it because it's also very much about isolation and being stuck with one bad roommate and loneliness and what is you know intimacy when your mind is just you know going completely bonkers and this is the only person that you spend time with for whatever six weeks or however long they you know spend on the island together. But I do find there to be an undercurrent about um, just you know. Uh, being in the closet, possibly. I mean, like, I, I also, I, I have seen this twice. I saw it again last night. I um, work in a movie theater, so I was fortunate enough to walk into it after my shift was over. But both of them have weird lines. And I, I don't know if this is getting into spoilers or not, but the, both of them have, like, lay, like, breadcrumbs about, like, possible repressed feelings for men and a lack of shame when it comes to sleeping with women and um and also i think that it is trying to get at something about alcoholism in general on top of that and kind of intertwining the two but maybe i'm also just looking for that because i did enjoy the aestheticism of this so much and like you brian i you know even if it isn't deep i didn't really care because it was just such a such a rush to just, you know, in such a viscerally thrilling experience for me. But I did 
feel like the arc that Robert Pattinson goes through and that feeling of kind of that, you know, almost shame and like he's an unreliable narrator. So I can't even you know, it's one of those movies where you can't even tell what he's you know, what you're seeing is real or not. But it did kind of tap into that, like feeling of being in the closet that I'm sadly familiar with. But uh, but in a way that I found to be like absurd and wildly entertaining and darkly funny in a way that I haven't seen before. So it's um it's it's an interesting way to look at the film and I I can't say that I don't think that that's true, but I think that like by isolating these two people together and making them so drunk all the time, I have like a harder time grasping that as a read for myself. Um similar to the way that Wake and Fright does that. Just because it's like I guess like the the closeted narrative it it doesn't feel like call me by your name where it's like oh this like oh, burgeoning God, no. passion yeah. that like I cannot ignore it's like I don't know I'm drunk I hate it here it sucks I guess I'll just dance with this old man yeah exactly like I it could be going for that and maybe I'm just looking for that and the film kind of in its own way is a weird Rorschach test where I feel like it's perp and I feel like that's purposefully clever on its part where it's like anything you want to read into it you can and I know a lot of people will use that as a criticism in in terms of like examining how it's actually shallow but and and maybe that's the case but I still found it to tap into those feelings in a way that I can't deny resonated with me and on top of that just I mean the lighthouse in general is just so phallic I mean the waves crashing into it and then I think there was something trending recently where they asked Robert Eggers like you know, are they gay? And he was just like, you know, it's it's subjective. You know, I'm, I'm, I want to leave that ambiguous. And then like Rob, they asked Robert Pattinson the same thing. And Robert Pattinson was like, I mean, in the script, it was, you know, written that the lighthouse looked like an erect penis. So, <laughs> But I mean, don't all lighthouses look like erect penises? <laughs> well, it'd be really sure. sad if they didn't. Well, you know, <laughs> That's a Charlie, I, I had the same reading as you. Um I, I had the same reading as you. Like I, I definitely just saw this as one long repression joke, and I think I'd be more into it if it felt like by the end it wasn't just an experiment. I, I think that like that some of those sensations that you're talking about are there. And um, are we in? Spoil? No. What are we in? Right? We're not in like spoilers. I, I think we could stand. Fog. Could... Uh, <laughs> all right we're in the fog i, I do it. want to say though anyway, that um i did find a lighthouse that does not look like an erect penis it is the thomas point shoal light <laughs> that is on the chesapeake bay um anyone so in maryland not, probably knows this lighthouse it looks like a little like octagonal cabin that is situated oh, on some stilts super lame what did you type into Google? <laughs> so I, I am from Not Maryland and lighthouse. I, I know this lighthouse. I have seen this lighthouse. It's like famous in Maryland. And so I said Chesapeake Bay lighthouse. Gotcha. I did not write anti-phallic lighthouse. <laughs> straight lighthouse. Yeah, straight lighthouse. Heterosexual lighthouse. Yeah. I am afraid to Google that just to see what comes up, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Heterosexual lighthouse. Uh, Charlie, I guess I'll I'll wait until spoilers until I can get into that. But I will say that I have the exact same read as this as you. Like at times, I was thinking of Duke of 
burgundy, even yeah. though the tone is very different. But we can we can obviously talk about that in Let's... spoilers? Question mark. There's like yeah. not spoilers. So this. I mean, be... there's no plot. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll jump into it here in just a little bit. But let, let me let me get this out real sure. quick. Um, unless you found something very interesting, Brian. Uh, no, the, the first, the first Google result for heterosexual lighthouse is queering to the lighthouse from, it's, it's from Victoria Griffin boast. It's apparently an academic article about the, the novel to the lighthouse. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's, that's not the, the rabbit hole we wanted to go down. No, Um, that's not as interesting as I was hoping. Yeah. Uh, so here's, here's a question for y'all and and i know a little bit of of the history of lighthouse keepers i guess what uh willem defoe calls a wiki um which i don't even know what the fuck that means uh but someone who keeps the wick lit i guess yeah but like why wouldn't you just call that a wick man or something i don't know why why is it whatever it's like a Um, jockey okay i don't know it doesn't matter what's your question Uh, um what the fuck kind of lifestyle is this what kind of job is this like i don't understand like surely i i guess this specifically is supposed to be some kind of like really far small shore island kind of outcropping where there obviously needs to be a lighthouse right because it's small enough Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of out in the distance, so you have people that just kind of come in off or uh, offshore. They're basically boated in, and then they're taken out in kind of waves. I think it's a, a four week stint, something like that. So just just a little, you know, right underneath a month or so um, seems okay, fine, sure. Um, you know, I guess the amenities aren't quite there, but. Um, <laughs> You know, just seems like such an insanely difficult uh, job that also doesn't seem to have like any actual like I cannot see how anyone actually pays for this job. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess you take wages from like shipping companies. I don't understand. Like, I think it's like run by tax dollars. It, was it way way the fuck back then? Like I don't know. I don't know what what the tax system. Someone like, is running like this then. lighthouse. I think it's they called uh, yeah. it like the lighthouse authority. Oh, okay. That that kind of makes sense. And I guess they they collect taxes like through just regular citizens, or is it just like shipping people? I don't understand. Like I can't. I, just, I can't imagine like getting a bill and being like lighthouse fee. What the fuck is this? Well, I that's live like who pays know, 5, for, for goddamn you know police and and stoplights. I mean, I I can go find a stoplight. I can go find a policeman pretty quick. Uh, I don't know where the fuck a, a lighthouse is in Dallas. <laughs> so Wait, so you need to know that you need you have to have knowledge of the lighthouse that your taxes are going to. <laughs> In like order for you <laughs> to feel as though you're lighthouse, and and certainly I would I would feel very uh, distraught if this is the lifestyle that some of these lighthouse keepers like end up living. I would be like, can we improve this somehow? All like, right, so how- I googled it. As, as, as someone who lives in Massachusetts, that is kind of funny because I've never thought about 
my tax if my tax dollars are going to white houses. So in nineteen in in seventeen eighty nine, the United States Lighthouse Establishment was created and operated under the Department of the Treasury. Okay. All U.S. lighthouse ownership was transferred to the government, which became the General Lighthouse Authority. So they're used to not. Okay, wow. So I guess the Lighthouse Authority used to be an independent thing, entity. It was under the Department of the Treasury. So it it uh was a – so I guess you used to like have a guy who made a lighthouse and would like extort people. And then the government (laughs) was like, this is important. We need to take over. In 1910, uh, uh, Congress abolished the U.S. Lighthouse Board and created the Bureau of Lighthouses under the Department of Commerce. Hmm. Yeah, because so no, it's important no to the treasure. country that its yeah. freighter services don't run up on fucking rocks. So. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, it just seemed like like this is very low level, low pay work, and it seems like it's such an important. I don't think it is. It, uh, you don't. Th- you, Robert Pattinson oh. legitimately says, "Like, I'm getting quite a bit of money for this." Like, he talks about like sure. the hazard pay, and I have friends who more. have worked on uh, oil rigs. Oh, oil. Well, I mean, oil rigs is one of the most like uh, expensive or like, you know, money rich industries there is. So, yeah, because you go there, yeah. you can't spend your money on anything. Mm-hmm. And then you get home and you've just mm-hmm. got a shit ton of money because you were in an incredibly dangerous job that they're paying you to like agree to stay away from the world for months yeah no one of my good friends from from college does that as well he's he's offshore yeah and so yeah so i would assume that lighthouse keepers are in a a similar boat so to speak so (laughs) um but yeah so the other thing that i found out while listening to that i think it was actually a, a robert pattinson interview about this film um and that was on uh jesse thorne's bullseye um anyways that he mentioned that it's not too long after this film's time period where they immediately went to three people that have to like man a lighthouse instead of two because they found out that those two people were driving each other insane more (laughs) and more frequently because you know you you put one person in charge and the other person is just kind of their subservient. And in a lot of ways, that just becomes a really awful power dynamic. And if that lasts for like a month, that, you know, if if one of those two people just grates on each other, that's going to be a rough month. So are, yeah. are you almost saying there it's a dom sub relationship? We also yeah. never really see what Willem Dafoe does apart from, you Fuck know, no. yeah, getting like, naked. <laughs> yeah, getting naked at night. And like, <laughs> yeah. Here's a, and getting a, a, a badass suntan. <laughs> Here's a fun fact. In 1886, the Statue of Liberty was the first lighthouse to use electricity. That's a what? That's a lighthouse? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? God damn it. I don't, huh. I don't know anything. I apologize, Bill, for blowing your mind that hard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I think we can move into spoilers. Even though, as we have said, there might be nothing to spoil. I think talking specifics, we're gonna mm. we're gonna get into spoilers. So uh blow the foghorn. Mm. 
<laughs> is that a fart or a foghorn? No. <laughs> Excellent no, question. That same question can be applied want. to most of this movie. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my critical essay that I write about this in 10 years. <laughs> Fart of farts and foghorns. <laughs> Maybe I'm coming around on this movie. <laughs> See, that's the thing, Mike. You're like, oh, I don't know. There's not a lot there. And I'm like, you've got some crazy fucking shit that's happening here if you just give yourself over to it. For instance, word spoilers now, you see a mermaid vagina. <laughs> I, I mean, you're saying actually, like I don't see mermaid vaginas on a daily basis. Other than the lure, where else have you seen a mermaid vagina? <laughs> I forgot about the lore. <laughs> I did too. Uh, that crazy ass musical. Yeah. What is I have that? Never forgotten a single mermaid know. vagina that I have seen. Polish, I think. Polish, Polish. Polish. Yeah, we. That was a crazy podcast because I ended up googling like <laughs> the river that runs through Poland to figure out where the hell these mermaids came from. <laughs> Good times. Uh, so what were we talking about? Uh, mermaid pussy. <laughs> Jesus. Just throwing it out there. Okay. We're going to earn that explicit tag yet again. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't need Jordan this time. <laughs> Usually it's just cursing. And the last yeah. couple episodes, it's been explicit sexuality. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm sorry, but this movie. Okay. Again, another awkward moment in watching this movie with open captions was when it was um, giving audio cues for Robert Pattinson fucking jerking <laughs> off. off. Yeah. <laughs> Which time? <laughs> I don't know. All the times. <laughs> Which apparently he was actually doing. <laughs> like, that's not, like, mind at all. <laughs> he seems, seems like right. he would do that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's a really sexy Scrimshaw mermaid. <laughs> Scrimshaw? Scrimshaw, yeah. yeah. You know what Scrimshaw is? No, I've never... I, you know, I've heard that and I have no idea what it means. Please. I collect Scrimshaw. It's another insight into my life. I collect Scrimshaw. Scrimshaw is uh, a a thing that whalers created. Oh. It's a type of art where you take okay. a ivory or bone from a, a whale and you etch it into either like an actual figurine or you you etch lines and then rub uh, either uh, soot black or ink on them to fill the lines to create a scene in the uh, the etching. <laughs> Sorry, I, it's it's not funny. You, you're a fount of knowledge, but just along the, with jazz, comic books, knowledge. and tap dancing, one of the original American art forms. <laughs> oh man, this is a dumb country. <laughs> Jesus, Michael. Wow. Um, okay. So, so yeah, uh, we're in spoilers now. Robert Pattinson goes crazy. He continuously fantasizes about uh, having sex with a mermaid. Remember when we watched that movie with Nicolas Cage that's name is escaping me, Mandy? Mm, and uh, yes. and I said yeah. that for They're like indie movies, <laughs> indie movies like this, there was always some meme that escaped that I would know before I actually saw the movie. Sure. And in Mandy, it was the Cheddar Goblin. In this movie, it was Pattinson fucks a mermaid. And I thought it was a spoiler and I was upset. <laughs> and then I saw the movie and I was like, oh no, it's just... This crazy thing that he keeps fantasizing about. It's just casual mermaid sex. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not shame him. Jeez. <laughs> we don't know how casual it was. They seem pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he Christ. fucking, I don't know, like, uh, we're exposed now. Someone say something. He murders a seagull. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah he merged the shit out of that seagull, too. He uh, has uh, William, William Defoe act like Willem. a dog. It's Willem Defoe. That's what I said. <laughs> I said Willem. I said William, but whatever. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do feel like that pivotal moment where the, the seagull, you know, taunts him to the, to the breaking point where he just almost comically, like, bashes it to the point sure. where it should cut could be allegorical for a lot of things, whether it's, you know, because that's a, around the point after he bashes it in, that's the same night that he's like, that Willem Dafoe is like, oh, you're going home tomorrow, like, drink up. Yeah, so it could yeah, be sure. allegorical yeah. for him, like, if you want to interpret the film as, like, he's trying to get sober for a while, and then that's the breaking point where he caves in and just becomes an alcoholic again, or his sexual repression mm-hmm. just out, or... You know, like it could it could be in a lot of things. And I I think it's meant to be kind of like an inkblot test in that way and just kind of have fun with it in at well, at the same time, you know, I do think that like there is a lot of beautiful phantasmagoric imagery that does harken back to like films like uh, like like drier films like Vampire or Murnau films like Nosferatu, but also adding sure. a weird comic twist to it without ever like i mean you said you don't think it's pretentious michael i don't either and by all accounts it should be but there's always a dark sense of humor where whenever i was like freaked out by some sort of image i was also like laughing at like what am i looking at here i mean like there's the mermaid stuff that he finds a mermaid at one point that seems to be well at first he thinks it's a woman who's just like a dead woman almost who's uh, washed ashore. And then like the camera kind of pans down and as his hand is kind of caressing it and then it gets scalier and then she laughs at him. But then later in the film when he's basically fist fighting Willem Dafoe and he hallucinates Willem Dafoe as a mermaid. And then as he starts, you know, go you know like starting to like make out with him it morphs into this weird willem dafoe merman hybrid with this waluigi laugh that i (laughs) lost my shit over and i was like oh this movie is gay (laughs) like it is a repressional (laughs) type of thing and but right you think you want ariel but we all know king triton's the the the, the head bear in this place King Triton is daddy uh yeah uh (laughs) i agree with that 100 (laughs) percent I, I heard you say King Trident, and, and now it sounds even oh, more God. phallic. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I might have. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I feel like um, it did, it, again, like, so maybe I was just looking for that, and that's what I got out of it. I think that it is that type of movie that's meant to be ambiguous. And this is something I actually wanted to bring up, um, is that, I've been really harsh on Ari Aster, I feel like, for similar reasons. And yet, with Eggers, the ambiguity works for me. And I was wondering what you guys feel about, like, the ambiguity that... Because Eggers also, I feel like, is an incredibly bold filmmaker who has who is incredibly confident with his skills behind the camera. But by the time, at least in terms of Hereditary and Midsummer, when those movies ended, I was always entranced by his uh, craft and then kind of shrugging by being like, what does it all mean? And I feel like this is the type of movie where you could easily point the same finger. And for whatever reason, Eggers taps into, uh, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's just, uh, it, it, I, I'm, I'm, 
honestly kind of been wrestling with it ever since I saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. And I was wondering because they're both in the quote unquote elevated horror auteur. Oh, God damn it, Charlie. Uh, you hit, you <laughs> triggered Michael. Michael has been triggered. We all have to take a break while Michael reads. I know I kid. I, I, I honestly think that's. A, hey, Michael, that's I want to see if I can kill you right now. Yeah. Do you do you think that Darren Aronofsky's mother is elevated horror? Honestly, I did think of mother a little bit, too, because and it is yeah. the same thing. I, I will admit I'm a mother apologist and I'm a big fan of that film. I'm oh, not an I, apologist. I am a stan. Yeah. yeah, that was my number one film of the year. I, I, I love to be <sighs> But it is that type of thing where, Michael, you said that it is bludgeoning and it is. And it is the kind of film like Mother that starts at 11 and then just keeps sure. hammering it in louder. And I'm genuinely wondering what that says about me as someone, as a film goer who just likes Notably, Idiot no foghorn in Mother. <laughs> um, so here's the here's. I think Ari Aster is bludgeoningly obvious with everything that he does. I think that he is not a man who believes in sure. subtext. And um, meanwhile, I think that Eggers, you know, the witch, because it's dealing with witchcraft, which is like female packs with the devil to get them out of stuff and a pact with the devil usually involves like you tell me what you want and i'll tell you what i need that the subtext was still there but it became a little more text at the end i think that this if there is a deeper meaning to it beyond you know being with uh, this guy who's a fucking maniac can drive anyone crazy especially if you already maybe killed a guy um and have rage issues Uh, yeah i think that this is a lot more i don't even know if it's subtle i just think it might just be everything that it wants to be wearing its heart on its sleeve without anything deeper to say. Whereas Aster, who I like is deeply obvious with everything that he wants to say. Brian, I want to, I want to ask something and this is a little bit of a side tangent, but, uh, what? we don't do this. Yeah, no, (laughs) never. Um, you just kind of boiled down witchcraft into something that I, I wasn't really expecting. So you're, you're saying that witchcraft and you know, Forgive me, but uh, your wife is a Wiccan, right? She's a witch. Okay, so <laughs> that's awesome. Like, um, so you basically said that it's a transactional thing, where basically witchcraft is basically a witch asking for some kind of thing to happen. Well, the way and... okay, so the way that witches were viewed in a puritanical society gotcha. is was a a trans like you wrote your name in the black book of the devil to get yeah. yeah something and and usually and like in the movie the witch he even says like what do you want you want the taste of butter because Mm. you're a poor woman in the 1600s and that's exotic to you yeah um yeah and so basically like it's a it was a it was viewed back then as like these crazy women who don't want to be part of our patriarchal society have made a deal with the devil to try to destroy us and our christian values Gotcha. Okay. I, yeah. I was just really fascinated by the way that you kind of put that out there. And I was like, whoa, whoa. That was a very, like, <laughs> describe this in one sentence. And you were like, sure, <laughs> here you go. And I was just like, whoa, that blew my mind. So, yeah, I was I was thinking about, like, that just, that just really fascinated me because I was thinking about how, like, yeah, in most of those kind of scenarios, witchcraft is basically – a witch is trying to get something done. And what does she have to do? She has to give like, she has to do certain things to get that thing done. And so mm-hmm. there is a kind of a transactional process there. It's 
but it's a little bit more complicated, I guess, than than just being like, hey, what you want? Well, what you need? Oh, okay. Well, there we go. All right, done. Everybody's happy. <laughs> Usually, it's uh, nobody's happy. <laughs> right, but so that like the 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 legend of a witch it very easily grafts onto chafing against sexual repression and patriarchal society. Whereas two dudes yep. getting blitzed, mm-hmm. fighting, dancing, making out, and fighting some more because one of them refuses to let the other one go into a lighthouse. Like, there's a <laughs> lot there. But I don't know how cleanly it graphs onto anything to the point where, like Charlie said, it kind of just becomes a Rorschach test. Absolutely. Like to me, this this is like Requiem for a Dream, but with alcohol. uh, It's also not terrible, too. So, you know, it has that ahead of it. I mean, Requiem for a Dream is a great movie, so I don't know what you're talking about. It's definitely not, but that's okay. Um, It's a really good movie. It's, it's, it's no really mother, not. but I mean, it shows promise. Uh, <laughs> not, All right. not a modern masterpiece. Is that what you're saying? All right. I'm going to go back to the, the other tangent. I, I think Brian's right that it is – there's a, a thuddingly obvious quality to Astra that you either take or leave. But I think it's also the way he is constantly psychologically signposting in a way that Eggers is too clever to do. Like there is um, – there's obviously a potentially incoherent ambiguity in the lighthouse, but I think that it's tapping into an uncanny and tapping into something a lot more mysterious than Aster is. At least, at least that's my experience. And I think the reason ultimately why I was a little bit, Oh, this is weird. Uh, Midsommar and actually the lighthouse kind of had a similar problem to me in the sense that it was inevitable that they'd end with violence. And um, I think that the homosocial, whether you want to say it's platonic or that they want to fuck each other. I personally think they want to fuck each other. Uh, I, I think that's a lot more interesting than where we end up in this movie. And I ultimately think that's why it feels really incoherent and kind of like short filmish as a piece of work more so than like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious. Did you so guys. If they replaced all the fighting with fucking. Would you have found that to be a more fulfilling? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of knife and heart. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like there is something that is really interesting where whenever they get close to being intimate whatsoever, it ends in a fist fight or like, 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 I and, like and, that. Yeah. And I think that does tap into something about, cause we were talking about how the witch taps into gender roles in terms of like patriarchal society back then and how, you know, it still reflects on patriarchy being horrible today where those gender roles are still in place maybe not as loud but they're still in place today and i feel like there is that sense of if there's one thing i think these two films do have in common it is examining gender roles from historically from a very uh uh from a historical uh perspective that kind of does reflect on how these um on how these uh, horrible uh, repressed feelings uh, still uh, kind of trickle out today and how like, you know, in The Witch, it's kind of like, what does it you know mean to be a woman in here? It's like kind of almost. Mu- but but, you know, very 
in a way that's not nearly as funny in a way that's very empathetic, I think, to um, how Christian pathology is um, is just horrible with gender roles in regards to women, especially back then, in regards to putting women in a specific box and expecting them to uh, uh, portray themselves a particular way in society, where here it's kind of taking that approach to what is it to be a man, but also kind of like poking fun at like just how absurd machismo is in a lot of ways and how it can just erupt in 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 ways and we can get to the ending and whatever everyone interprets that to be but i do think that it's interesting how there's so much empathy for the protagonist and the witch and here i don't i don't think there's not empathy for the robert pattinson character but it is also like when his masculinity is tested and he and he has to prove himself as a human being he kind of gets uh enveloped by it and consumed by it to the point that he becomes the willem dafoe character in terms of his abusive behavior and then it just completely implodes so i don't know if this is complete bullshit and i'm just like you know grasping at straws here but that's at least my reason. <laughs> well, I, think that, I think that Eggers yeah, has like an obs- I don't want to say an obsession. He's only made two films. Um, but he, he presently much like Aster, it, it appears to have a pet theme that he is like still teasing out. Sure. Um, and, and in Eggers's case, that appears to be what happens to people's sexuality when they are like isolated from the rest of mankind and cannot direct it healthily. Mm-hmm. so like in the witch the the younger brother is clearly like starting to go through some level of puberty and he's looking at his sister and being like she's hot yeah she's it's, the only person that's close too to my bad age. that she's the yeah. only like vaguely my age woman in the area because maybe i could be directing this towards i don't know literally anyone else um and you know obviously like the family catches on to that and they're like, she's bewitched her brother. And it's like, no, you idiots. He has nowhere else to put it. Yeah. Um, and in this I'm movie, like, whoa, phrasing. <laughs> he has nowhere else to direct his burgeoning sexual energies. Michael. Mm-hmm. I still don't love burgeoning, but okay, let's do this. Nascent. I, mm, like you're, so close, you're so close to nubile. We're so close. I know what nubile <laughs> that's means. My, that's my word. <laughs> Bill is never allowed to use the word nubile Um, so that was the craziest most awkward thing ever what were we doesn't matter Um, so like Eggers clearly has this concept of like when people are isolated like uh, you know they start to lose it a little bit and sex is usually the first way that it goes and that's what happens here I think it'd be interesting what he would do with that in a non- isolated scenario i really would like his next movie to be about people who live in a society oh god (laughs) i realized what i was about to say and i felt bad immediately but and he can keep the period affect you know he could make it whenever he wants it to be but maybe like make them a part of a town or a city if he's feeling a little saucy you know I would like to see an ensemble film from him. I think that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, like a real Altman-esque piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that I think that, that would be interesting because I I am feeling a little bit like, okay, clearly you believe isolation is not good for people and can manifest itself in a number of bad ways. And uh I would love to see what else you've got on your mind. And like 
it doesn't take away from the fun of this movie or the aesthetic pleasures of it, but it is something that I felt after the movie was over. It was like he he made his like kind of folk horror film and now he's made his weirdly bleak violent comedy. Um I'd love to see what else he can do in this kind of in this frame. Well, in specifically in <clears throat> relation to that, am I the only one who found it a little disappointed where this film ended. I'm not even talking about the final, <laughs> the final uh, shot, but just that this reaches an inevitable fever pitch with violence. Did, did anyone else find that kind of disappointing? Here's a uh, here's a little thing that you may not have picked up about me, Michael. I love a movie that catalyzes in violence. <laughs> I yeah. I have to agree. And I guess it just felt inevitable, but the ways the violence happened were so unpredictable to me. And I felt like in terms of like exploring masculinity, it felt appropriate. So I didn't mind also just, I mean, like it did end in violence, but it ended in violence that I couldn't see. Like I had no idea he was going to put Willem Dafoe on a dog leash and bury him alive. And try to bury him alive. Yeah, that was. Yeah, like. Oh, no, I I guessed that. Yeah. (laughs) Five minutes into the movie, Mike was like, I know exactly where this is going. (laughs) And also just, I mean, just in terms of a pure, almost like superficial appreciation for the aestheticism when he goes up to the lighthouse and, you know, it is that, and it still is that ambiguous, almost like Raiders of the Lost Ark type of thing where you don't know, like, I, I found that to be, yes, bludgeoning for sure. Very oppressive, but I... I was completely enraptured by it. I thought that he was going to like light himself on fire and be like, I am the light now. I wasn't expecting him to fall down and then get pecked apart by seagulls. Yeah. I am. I wanted to ask you, Charlie, actually, you you keep bringing up this concept that I've seen elsewhere. Like this idea of like the absurdity of machismo and masculinity. Uh huh. I don't see that in this movie. And maybe it's just because like everything about their circumstances is so bleak and dire I don't feel like they're really like doing performative masculinity so much. Like they, they, and again, I think because they are so isolated, they don't feel the need to do that. And like, I don't find that Willem Dafoe is like picking on him for being less of a man or that Robert Pattinson feels like he needs to prove himself to be a man. So I, I was wondering if you could like elucidate what you meant by yeah, that. Yeah, I guess that like they all like just try and bottle up their emotions, and then it all it always results in violence or anger from everything from the seagull getting bashed to basically bits to the scene where he's just like you know you didn't swap you did you know you didn't mop that or. Uh, yeah, you didn't swap that part of the deck. And he's like, no, I did it. And it's just them practically getting in their faces to the point that he threatens to dock their pay. I mean, it's all it, it, it's just a repressed form of anger that I feel like uh, ultimately imploding, like it, it, just any form of intimacy at all, like always results in just I don't want to deal with this. I'd rather lash out, which I see all too often in men around me these days that I kind of related to I mean um and maybe in terms of like they're also just talking about women in ways that like 
Like there's that scene where he's just like, you feel ashamed of being next to a woman naked. And he's like, I ain't ashamed of nothing. But then, you know, there's all these like outbursts and all these um, just repressed forms of, I, I mean, even the, um, the, the male uh, struggle for, like, like he won't let him up into the lighthouse. We never understand why. We never really, even though he's like basically, you know, uh, uh, fried in whatever kind of way that, I mean, he's basically fried by whatever ecstatic light that has to offer. We never understand why he won't ever let him up there. And he goes up there naked all the time and seems to have no problem whatsoever. And it feels like almost like a power struggle in ways that I feel like, Maybe it's not, maybe it's not masculine in terms of that aspect of it, but it does. But the power struggle there did feel kind of like a weird, toxic form of masculinity to me. I don't know if I answered your question well, but that's just kind of me. No, no, that that definitely clarifies things a bit more when people say that because I'm looking at this and I'm like, it's hard for me to see that considering how bonkers it is. And how far removed it is from like societal constructs of masculinity. But I guess the, uh, as you said, the kind of bottling of emotions and everything makes sense. Um, and I, it, it brings to mind the scene, the, the, the scene where I heard people in my audience actually like doing that, aw, like wounded, like sorry for a character noise. And it was when Willem Dafoe was kind of begging Robert Pattinson to say that he liked the lobster that he cooked. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which also led us to the biggest laugh of the movie and also my near nervous breakdown at seeing the run on sentence that Willem Dafoe was screaming when he he does like a five minute riff on how Triton is going to destroy everything. And then Robert Pattinson's like, fine, I liked your lobster. Yeah. Um, I work at an art house movie theater where we're showing this currently and we keep a, a list of mispronounced film titles people uh say when they come up to the uh, box office and someone actually came up and said one for the lobster. I mean, the lighthouse. And we're like, well, they've clearly seen this before. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way they would just go up and assume. Yeah. <laughs> is there a bad way that you cook lobster? I'm, I'm very confused by this. Like, is that possible? I think you could you, overcook you just, a lobster. Yeah. You just boil it, though. Yeah, right? But if you boil it too much, it gets rubbery. Yeah, I, sure, but like, I don't know. I worked in a seafood I, restaurant. I feel like Bill. that should. I feel like that should be a, a an easy thing to cook. And if and if you can eat it, then hopefully someone else can eat it. Especially if they're stuck in a fucking lighthouse without any other options. And but it's a it's a it's a damn sight different between like I'm eating it because I'm starving and I've done a lot of work and I actually liked it. Sure. Um, I don't know how Ooh. it's possible, but someone appears to have that entire thing written on imdb of course the lobster diatribe yeah you're fond of me lobster ain't you i seen it you're fond of me lobster say it say (laughs) it say it and then ephraim says i don't have to say nothing you know what happened right they they saw your closed captioning screening i just like there was a part of me that i clicked on the quotes page as a lark because i was like god knows they're not going to be able to have already the speech that he gives, but he has the whole goddamn thing here. Lack of periods and all. <laughs> they're they're trying to break you, aren't they, Brian? <laughs> yes. If um if if 
if I had my druthers, I would force each of us to give a dramatic reading of this to see who can get through without fucking up. I'm not going to okay. do that, though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but anyone at home who'd like to send in a sound clip of you doing that to podcastthefilmstage.com. Or maybe at Brian J. Rowan. <laughs> yeah, just tweet it to me. Uh, tweet us, you, uh, with a black and white Instagram filter, reading the the lobster diatribe. You should be able to have a, a square filter as well. So yeah. there you go. I mean, the Instagram, the general usual Instagram square is pretty close oh, to the, the Academy sure. ratio. How many high schoolers are going to use that Willem Dafoe monologue for like their <laughs> high school drama class? <laughs> My name's Chris. Uh, I'm, I'm trying out for the baker and into the woods. <laughs> hark, Triton, hark, bellow, bid our father, the sea king, rise from the depths full foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would fucking love that, actually. Well, you would. I'm not sure the drama teacher would. <laughs> be like, uh, you you were supposed to send this in ahead of time, so I know what the fuck you're saying. I don't understand what this is. I don't know <laughs> if you did a really good job or you just had a small stroke, but I'm terrified <laughs> you get the you get the part. <laughs> do not cook my lobster. <laughs> I do also love though that the mo- the film, especially in moments like that, it 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 harkens back to just focusing on faces like the old silent films. I do like that while he's delivering that monologue, it is just a like beautiful close up of Willem Dafoe's face and those eyes with he barely looks like he blinks. I'm sure he does, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do think that this film is in love with its two actors in a way that I appreciated, even though I I it's funny, I, I I'm not as I've gotten older, I realize like, especially not to bring up another movie that's come out recently that's made a ton of money but the showier the performance i responded less to but oh I, are you talking about joker ah <laughs> um but uh yeah like i i for whatever <laughs> Mike reason, is just seething over there sorry uh but for whatever reason i feel like they're in on the joke so that makes it okay in this case which is it, it like if it, it goes full absurdist in a way that never Despite the fact that every aesthetic quality should scream pretension, it is just kind of a yeah a joke, and it might be a one it might be one joke extended for a very like uh, for an hour and forty nine minutes, but it it is a joke that I can't deny. I kept laughing at, and in some ways was even like weirdly freaked out by in ways that I don't even fully. Uh, comprehend but it, it, it just got me on yeah, that it's level a super unnerving movie at times like it, i don't yeah, yeah it's it's the it's the it's this weird bizarre movie that makes the repetition of the ghastly phrase why'd you spill your beans terrifying you know yeah there's also um the thing the reveal that i did want to bring up because i saw it for a second time with a friend last night who said, you know, I got a lot of, I know this is going to sound weird, but I got a lot of uh, Robert, when we brought up Altman before, Robert Altman's three women where they kind of merge into one person and then they Mm -hmm. ask what, you know, what's your, uh, Robert Pattinson asks, what's your, uh, or one of them, I think it's Robert Pattinson asks, what's your Christian name? And he says, Thomas. Mm -hmm. And there's that whole thing of like, are they the same person? They've both been accused of murder, that they both claim to be accidents. There, mm-hmm. you know, there's that whole thing. And by the end with 
the dog walking. Robert Pattinson has clearly done the whole Duke of Burgundy switch of being the, you know, actual abuser in the relationship. Like, there's that whole thing. I don't necessarily care if they are two different people or one person, but I was curious what your guys' take is on that. I guess. I, I, there was a point when I realized that the movie was like looking for me to be thinking about these things and seemed to be mocking me for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because by the time he goes into sure. the lighthouse and it's like all the answers uh, lie in this light and it's basically like, no, we're just going to fry him and then he'll be pecked to death by seagulls and then right. the movie's over. And, and he like says to the, Willem yeah. Dafoe, like, I, I understand everything. You murdered the guy because you're obsessed with light. And he's just like, no, that's not it. <laughs> and then yeah. he says like, oh, clearly we're in purgatory. Clearly we're already dead. Yeah, all this other stuff. And so there was a point when I was like, I think the movie is actively telling me not to try to figure it out and to just enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. There's there's also that shot of um, uh, Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, you know, chasing after Robert Pattinson when he's trying to get away in, you know, the little boat. And then Willem Dafoe's axing it. And then goes back into the house and Willem Dafoe says, you're crazy. You just chased me with an axe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it totally gaslights him. There's also the story about how he broke his leg. And then he says, oh, no, that I didn't say that. You must have been mistaken. So, And it's always from Robert Pattinson's point of view, who from The Mermaid on, it, it's clear he's an unreliable narrator. Which is so. weirdly early in the movie. <laughs> yeah, very weirdly early in the movie. <laughs> it's like no, his I... first night, he's like, well, I'm on a, I'm on an island. I guess I'm going to dream about fucking a mermaid. I see, but that's what I think it, it is. I, I like part of me is like, all right, I'm taking this too seriously by finding it indulgent or annoying. Like I, I, I he's already won. <laughs> like that's that's kind of what it feels like. But then like it it is indulgent. Like like there's no way to not try to like by making it more than a dark comedy by trying to make it like some absurdity that's like almost cosmic in in it's like phantomagoric oh my god holy shit did i butcher that <laughs> um, uh, like in the hallucinogenic imagery like i i feel like it's reaching for something that it just it can't get to and that's why i think like the longer i sit with it the more i feel like i got hoodwinked a little bit oh no you were hoodwinked <laughs> did a film man come and <laughs> get you to buy into some snake oil all right all right did, did anyone else have the sensation of or being hoodwinked yeah <laughs> In trying to find those bigger themes. I've been a victim of all manner of chicanery, Michael, but I would never say that this movie hoodwinked me. (laughs) All right, damn it, Brian. Just tell us whether the dog died. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Before we do that, did anyone else feel legitimately hoodwinked? Nope. nope. Great. <laughs> so yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's Thanks do for the... me on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> let's do the does the dog die dot com game. Um, we still Woo. have not come up with a better name for this game. Uh, that everyone was knows my how this. Response to what was your that question? Like that was my qu- response to your question, Charlie. <laughs> like like Brian. By the time that I realized that they were playing with bigger themes, I felt like I was being hoodwinked. You had the wool pulled over your eyes. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) 
rapscallions, high women. All right. Coming All to right, lift man. your honest gotten gains. You're having too much fun. You I am. Stop this. <laughs> there was a moment where I, I thought about trying to write an intro for this episode in the dialect that's used in this movie. Oh, and um, I was too tired. <laughs> so the does the dog die dot com game. I will ask the question. Everyone must lock in a yes or no answer before I will give the answer that the does the dog die dot com community gave as the right one. And, so the- and uh, hold on. Uh, this is always my preamble. I uh, just warn our guests. Uh, think about these questions and then think about them again. As if a smart person was actually to ponder them. So don't don't go to lowest common denominator. Think almost go galaxy brain. Close to it. <laughs> okay. Galaxy I've never played this game before. So Yes. <laughs> Fair warning. It's weirdly more difficult than you'd expect. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, we'll start off with our favorite and always first question. Does the dog die? No fucking dog. Michael Snydell? There's there's no dog. Charlie? No dog. Unless right, that you is- consider the salty dog. <laughs> oh, the salty oh, sea God. dog. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the answer is no. The dog does not die. Now, does an animal die? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Seagull got got. Explodes. Yeah. Seagull explodes. That's- yes, that's one way to describe it. 16 people say yes a seagull dies a horrible death by the hands of the main character would would the lobster count as well you would think so yeah technically that's off screen though but again that's that's this fucking website they they go galaxy brain on that shit that is true i just want to say they they should have come up with a fun name for that seagull Steven Seagal. Is Steven Seagal was a great one. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to The Shallows, a favorite film of this podcast. Does an LGBT person die? Yes. <laughs> what does to the dog die? Are, are they? No. No. Bill, you lock in an answer. Oh, shit. Bill locked in no. <laughs> what, what did Charlie say? Charlie said I, I yes. Said yes. <laughs> Damn it. All right. I'm going to say no because I'm going to say they're very literal. All right. Does an LGBT person die? Three to four. The answer is no. Damn it. <laughs> While neither of the characters are canonically gay, there's definitely some subtext that's been confirmed by one of the main actors. See? Let's canonically game. I'm gonna start keeping yeah, track I, of like actual man, scores during this game. <laughs> well, canonically gay, I guess, means just like in, in the, the film, text. are they oh, are they gay? Right, like yeah. like everyone knows that Dumbledore is gay, but I don't think he's canonically gay. I think he's like expanded okay. universe gay. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, now he is. But he's not, it's not in the text. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, there's There's so many dumb things that are canonical. Here's here's a great question to get everyone back on an easy footing. Does someone abuse alcohol? (laughs) (laughs) Or is alcohol abuse? Hmm. Lock in your answers. I mean, that's just a normal Saturday night. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, geez. Yeah, what counts as abuse? Of of revelry. (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. All I right, guess. nine to zero. The answer is yes. <laughs> Wait, who's the one person? No, it's nine no, to zero. zero. Everyone says oh, nine to zero. Oh, for a second, never mind. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Who's like, uh, if that's abuse, then I'm abusing alcohol, and I do not want to feel that way. Um, the top comment. <laughs> it's basically a main plot point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Here's another one that's uh, going to be a little, a little more difficult. Maybe does someone fall to their death? Well. He falls down the stairs. We don't know if he fell to it. I mean, he seems pretty alive when the seagulls are still pecking at him. But is that real? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean, is him falling down the stairs? Yeah, real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but is that other image of him with the seagulls or did he just die right there? No, oh, I, I, I went backwards on that hole. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, hmm. Is does he canonically die? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say no. I think he's fine. Uh, <laughs> All right, Michael fine. says no. I've taken a tumble down the steps before. <laughs> what the fuck are y'all Bill, talking about? Bill Graham, does someone fall to their death? Technically, we don't see him <laughs> die as it fades out of the goddamn outs. Like, I mean, he's still show. Like, breathing. <laughs> All right, so Bill Graham, you say yes, someone fell to their death. Yes, Charlie. Dead. Sure. Charlie no. says yes. All right, six to one. The answer is no. Yeah. The same character falls from a great height, great height twice in the film. First, oh, non-fatally, and second, from the top of the lighthouse and down the stairs. I I was so expecting him because that sequence when when the uh, the little uh, pulley system snaps mm-hmm. and he falls, I was fully expecting him to wake the up. Because they 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 show this angle of him looking down towards his legs. I was for sure expecting like one of his legs to just be like in a op- odd direction sure. and like i think it i think that's the first sign that there's like a seagull there's just like a seagull just hanging out on his on his uh i think it's th- like the it second or like third time the his- seagull is there because yeah. i remember when he wakes up and the seagulls on him sure. people in my theater laughed their asses off <laughs> yes yes but like i think that's the first time time that like that seagull actually like full-on terrorizes him and is just like picking at his at his pant legs and i was just like really that's what you're concerned about right now (laughs) is the seagull pulling at your pant leg when you just drop like a story and a half yeah and there's there's a lot about that scene where i was like they're just not going to talk about the fact that he fell like 30 feet onto some rocks yeah. Anyway, like, next yeah. question from DoesTheDogDie.com. He's yes. a real man. That's how he survived. Well, he's, he's a manly man. He's also man. painting a very phallic uh, building white. So <laughs> I'm sorry. If something is tall and needs to be clearly visible, it's going to be phallic. You got to paint it white. I mean, <laughs> some of this is just, it's what has to be done. My favorite stone song, Paint It White. <laughs> I feel like red is a better color. Um, some lighthouses do get painted red and white yeah Yeah. i see a lighthouse and i want to paint it white um (laughs) is someone (laughs) gaslighted that's not how that song goes at all someone gaslighted yes hell yes 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 all right the answer 12 12 to 0 yes top comment 
majorly. <laughs> um. All right. Oh, I gotta. God. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna do two more. Uh, is there a claustrophobic scene? Huh. I mean, it's gross that he gets dirt in his mouth. I he like really got dirt in his mouth. Like I was he, wondering he about that. Eyes. Yeah, he opens his eyes too. Like yeah. how many times did he have to film that? Too? <laughs> once, sir. Once. Remember, the guys. Uh, the real. dirt is not real dirt. It is crushed up Oreos, Willem. <laughs> <laughs> it's still gonna hurt in the eyes though yeah. wait is it really crushed up Oreos no that's I don't know if that's true I oh, assume it's not <laughs> are you kidding me Robert so. Eggers would not let that go on in his film set be like Just Oreos, Oreos. <laughs> this, is, this is fucking 1710 there's no Oreos you motherfucker you're getting dirt <laughs> we, we dug a the mile inter- and a half to get to dirt from the strata <laughs> The interns are just like crushing Oreos with hammers <laughs> off. <laughs> Filled an industrial trash bag with Oreos, double bagged it, and then ran it over with a Honda Civic. <laughs> All right. So again, is there a claustrophobic scene? Uh, yes. I think this whole film is a claustrophobic. Scene. The aspect ratio is claustrophobic. Oh yeah. yeah. So does ev- everyone says yes? Yeah. Five yeah, to one, the answer is no. Damn it. Who are these people? What's weird is that the top comment is only if you consider being buried alive claustrophobic. Who doesn't? Ah! What? <laughs> but we have to uh we have to go with what does the dog die.com says. And now the always popular final question. Does it not have a happy ending? I still don't know how to answer this. Yes or no? Does it not have a happy yes. ending? Yes. Does like it have a happy ending? I would say no to that. So the answer is yes. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Yes or I no? I mean, yeah, like by typical story structure, no. But in terms of like a satisfactory ending, yeah. It's not so, a good ending. It's a happy it, ending. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Eight to zero. Yes. Does it not have a happy ending? <laughs> and that's oh. it for does the dog die.com game, which also brings us to the end of our review. Anyone have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? So apparently Willem Dafoe had to shave his beard, which he had grown out a little bit. Uh, right before filming to go do this play and Robert Eggers begged him and said, please, sir, don't, don't shave your beard. And he said, don't worry in three months, I can grow the beard of a sea God. And thus this movie. <laughs> Did he have a beard in, in Aquaman? No, oh, I forgot he was even in Aquaman. No, I he's pretty like, clean I shaven. Think about it. <laughs> I didn't see Aquaman. Oh, that's a shame. I watched it on HBO because people said it was good, and I am very mad at everyone who told me that. <laughs> it was fun. It's a, game it's a terrible it, movie. It fun. That movie was 70% people getting interrupted by explosions. <laughs> What's wrong with that? that? Yeah, it became a running joke that I'm not sure the movie knew it was doing. Anyway, uh, so that's it for today. Uh, Charlie Dash, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a blast. Excellent. Uh, yeah. 
Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. Don't forget to go to mubi.com slash film stage for your free 30 day trial of Mubi, the curated online cinema, where presently they have Dario Gento's Bloody October still lingering in their back catalog. Uh, recently added Deep Red. They also had Inferno and a bunch of other great stuff. Nice. And uh, yeah, that's about that. So again, mubi.com slash film stage for your free 30 day trial. And now we've come to the end. Uh, next week, we are talking about Dr. Sleep, correct? Yeah. yeah. What a dumb fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, yeah, you I've, wanted I'm to sure watch this be... movie. <laughs> I'm sure there will be some reason why it's called Dr. Sleep. But I'm curious how reviews are going, because by now it's got a searing for critics. Right? Yeah, I thought, it was, yes. I thought it was getting good stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's good, decent reviews. Yeah, anyway. I I have a few friends who say it's actually really good, which I'm kind of shocked by, despite the fact that Mike Flanagan's. I mean, he's made some solid horror movies, but yes, I, Oculus I like among them. Everything but the last ten minutes of uh, Gerald's game. Gerald's game. Oh my god, what the fuck <laughs> happened in those last? 10 yes, minutes? thank you. That was yeah, a no, great podcast book, that we too. had. Yeah, we- we found out that that's in the fucking book, which is real disappointing that he wasn't just like, oh, yeah, you know who doesn't give a fuck about his adaptations? Stephen King. Let's change that shit. I <laughs> thought Stephen King gave too many fucks about his adaptations. Yeah. No, no, no. so mad about Kubrick. <laughs> well, he now gives no fucks. Oh, he okay. He's become less precious. give a lot of fucks. Oh, yeah, yes. that's true. I do have one question about Dr. Sleep real quick, which is they keep flashing, at least in the trailer, to images from Kubrick's The Shining. But mm-hmm. in the book, Doc mm-hmm. Halloran doesn't die and he's a character in this one. So I'm just confused by the continuity. Of they that even decision. show uh, room 1408, if I'm not or 1408. What, what's, what's no, the... it's 320. Tw- You're talking about the John Cusack movie. <laughs> 1408 yeah, yeah, is the John Cusack movie based on a Stephen King short story, but Room 237 is the room from The Shining. Yes. yes, and so, but that is not the room in the book, if I'm not mistaken. I it's think the it takes in- the. I think it it is an amalgam of the the book and the movie. I don't know. Yes, I haven't seen I, the movie yet. I'm seeing it tomorrow. I'm writing the review for the film stage. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. I'll figure it Looks out. Good. I'll let you know, Charlie. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, yeah, I, we we may at some point do Jojo Rabbit, but we've kind of decided we're not in a hurry to see that. And then uh, we also have uh, hopefully some classics that'll be coming up, including The Mask of Zorro. So look forward to that. Until there's then, a, there's a ton of stuff coming out. And I, for some people, The Irishman might be coming near you this week. Yeah. Uh, marriage stories this week. Uh, oh, marriage. Other things. Other things. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. J- J- Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> Jesus. Good luck. Which I'm so excited about. Yeah, can't you hear it in his voice? <laughs> anyway, uh, but until then, let's tell the fine people at home where it could be found between now and the next time. We'll start with our guest, Charlie Ash. Yeah, you can find uh, my work on uh, the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofka.com. Uh, you can also find my work at. Uh, recently at least at edgemedia.com and Atticus in Review. And you can follow me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's uh, ctnash91. All right, Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, where I will be tracking all the dogs that die. Um, you can also find me Everywhere? on... Everywhere? 
Yeah, all of them. All of the dogs. Um, oh, no. It's <laughs> a very distressing thing to learn that is a hobby of yours. Yeah, I'm a little worried. Boston Terrier, Omaha, Nebraska, method of death, choked on a piece of a tennis ball. Oh, that, was, that was too quick. Um, anyways, uh, you can also find me on the Slack channel, mixing it up as always. All right. <laughs> Trying to get us to use the fucking thread system. God no one's it. using the thread system. No it's too one. Much. Anyway, Michael Snydell. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell, where I'll be practicing my best uh, 19th century curse words. And uh, on, I, I am writing occasionally. I wrote about C, the Apple TV series you heard yeah. about. That's, that's from uh, Serenity Mastermind Steve Knight. That sounds terrible, man. Yeah. It's it's not good. (laughs) Not looking forward to it. Um, I will be writing the Dr. Sleep review for the film stage, so you can find the filmstage.com along with all my other writing in every episode of this podcast. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and every other place at Brian J. Rowan. My personal site, brianjrowan.com. That, I think, about wraps us up. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for taking this trip to the lighthouse, and join us next week. I got the Donovan in there.